This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. We're completing our series entitled Affliction. We've been going uh, 13 weeks through this uh, series talking about suffering and the sovereignty of God and how God oftentimes leads us through difficult circumstances to show us more about ourselves in light of who he is. And so if you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website at huikala.org or subscribe to our podcast wherever you get podcasts at. We also have a smartphone app. You can download your phone or your tablet uh, and get caught up that way. Uh, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 19 this morning, if you would. Uh, 1 Kings is gonna be in the Old Testament. Uh, that's the uh, left side of your Bible as you go through it. Uh, there, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you got a copy of the notes for today and you got a little bit nervous thinking maybe you should cancel your lunch plans. It's okay. I'll try to get you out of here in time for lunch. Uh, but um, I wanted to give you some something in your hands that you could hang on to that would be a resource for you going forward. Uh, that not just you, you fill in three blanks and we call it good and we go home. This is something I want you to hang on to because you're gonna need it at some point, if not for yourself uh, and helping someone else. And so I wanna give you as much resources as I could uh, this morning to help you through this. Um, as you take a look at what the Bible says about suicide and depression, uh, it's real. We need to talk about it. We need to discuss it. And the church sometimes avoids uh, topics like this, but I think we should uh, confront it head on. And that's what our plan is to do today. First Kings chapter 19 tells the story of a man by the name of Elijah. Uh, when you think of prophets of the Old Testament and guys who really got it done, Elijah would be like at the top of your list of guys that were prophets in the Old Testament that got it done. First uh, Kings chapter 18 tells the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Uh, basically what happened was uh, Elijah said to the people, hey, if God's your God, then get on his side. If not, buzz off. And there were 750 prophets of Baal. And Elijah says, hey, let's have a competition. We'll take an animal, we'll, we'll kill it, we'll cut it up, we'll lay it on the altar, we'll put some wood underneath it. You call for Baal to light the sacrifice on fire. I'll call for God to light the sacrifice on fire. And whoever wins, wins. And the other side, the losers, die. Pretty intense. But Elijah was showing great, great, great faith. And so uh, the prophets of Baal, they took their altar, they built it, uh, they began to cry and they began to scream, they began to cut themselves and, and bleed out and, and scream. And Elijah is having a lot of fun. He says, hey guys, Amp up the volume. Baal might be asleep and you just need to wake him up a little bit. I mean, he's goading these guys, poking at them, mocking them, making fun of them because he knows good and well there's no fire coming to consume that from Baal. And so Elijah, when it's Elijah's turn, he says this, hey, I want you to dig a trench around the altar and I want you to pour some barrels of water on top of it. And I want you to do that three times so that the water fills up the trenches around the altar. I don't want anybody to think that it just accidentally got caught fire. I want people to know this thing was covered in, in water. And he stood back and he says, God, light it up. And God sends fire from heaven. It consumes not only the sacrifice, but the Bible says it licked up the water that was in the trenches. And everybody knew that God was God. And then Elijah says this, 
Hey, all those prophets of Baal, all 750 of them, don't let one of them get away. They took all 750 of them and took them down by the river and killed them by the hand of the sword. You talk about uh, a good day. Elijah had a good day. He called down fire from heaven. He, uh, in front of everybody, he showed great faith. You talk about victory. The guy won a big W for the Lord that day. I mean, as big of a victory as one could possibly have. But at the end of that, a messenger comes to him and says, Jezebel, which happens to be the king's wife, she wants you dead. And so we find ourselves in 1 Kings chapter number 19, starting in verse number one. And Ahab, who is the king of Israel, told Jezebel, which was his wife, that all that Elijah had done and with all that he had slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, verse number two, saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow at about this time. Hey, by this time tomorrow, one of us is gonna be dead. It's either gonna be you or it's gonna be me and I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure that it's you, Jezebel says to Elijah. Verse number three. Now mind you, this guy's just called down fire from heaven. Uh, this guy's just seen a victory over 750 enemies of God. Verse number three, when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken the covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent or tore apart the mountains and break into pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Remember last summer, Angela and I um, generally take a week uh, for ourselves to, to celebrate our anniversary. We had gone to the Big Island and rented a house there and we were enjoying the week. And uh, one of the things we like to do when we're on vacation is watch cable because we, we don't have cable in our house. And so just to flip through and watch the news in real time is like a treat for us. And so uh, we were sitting around watching the news. I guess that's what old people do. Uh, that's what we were doing that, uh, that particular week. And so we're watching the news there. Uh, and the, the, the news comes on uh, that fa uh, famous fashion designer, Kate Spade, had uh, committed suicide. I was just like, wow. And so we're, we're trying to listen in and get as many details as we can about this. And you think about that, celebrity suicides as they happen. Uh, and then just later that week, Anthony Bourdain had taken his own life as well and committed suicide. And we began to talk about suicide and what causes people to come to that place. And it's easy to talk about something like that and say, oh, well, these people don't know the Lord. These people were chasing fame and fortune. These people were um, looking after something and, and expecting something that they didn't get from life. That's easy to understand. 
And I just want to say by caveat before we get started any further, if you have any thoughts or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, I want you to call the Suicide Prevention Hotline. The number's on the back of your notes here, uh, 1-800-273-8255. Call, just talk to somebody. Uh, if this brings up feelings and emotions that you need to talk through, you're welcome to talk to your pastor, but if you need help, get it. There's no shame whatsoever in ever asking for help. And as we began, began to hear these stories of these celebrities who seem to have it all, fame, fortune, famous names, millions of dollars at their disposal, yet they came to a point where life simply wasn't worth living any longer. It's easy for us to look back and say, well, maybe they didn't know the Lord the way that we do, and, and some of them had professed uh, on, uh, a faith against the Lord. Maybe they didn't have the Bible the way that we do, and they could grasp onto the promises of God's word, and it's easy sometimes to look at that and say, so, well, that's why that happened. But then just a couple of months later, in August of 2018, Pastor Andrew Stokeland from Inland, uh, Inland Hills Church in California had been outspoken about his depression, his mental illness in August of 2018, took his own life as well. And you look at that and you say, well, here's a pastor who knows the Bible, who knows the Lord, who knows the promises of God's word. And maybe this whole thing's just a little bit deeper than just being able to know a few Bible verses that might be helpful or uh, maybe to know where to turn to in the Bible. Maybe it's a little bit more difficult than that. And then earlier this year, September of this year, Pastor Jared Wilson, who's a pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California, was an outspoken uh, person uh, dealing with his depression and mental illness, even had a nonprofit called Anthem of Hope, uh, had taken his own life uh, as well. And we look at this and we say, how does this happen with Christians? How do people who know the Lord, who know the Bible, who have all the promises of God's word, how do they come to a point where they are hopeless and see this as the only option for the life that they have. And for probably, I would say, the past 18 months or so, I've been putting together some resources to be able to talk about this with you today. Uh, I, I said before, I've never heard a pastor preach an entire message on depression uh, or suicide. I've heard it sprinkled throughout some messages from time to time. I've heard uh, people with depression put down from the pulpit before, and that was very troubling to me. I've heard pastors say things from the pulpit before that if you're struggling with depression, you just need to spend more time in the Bible as if that's the answer to, to everything. If you're struggling with depression, then all the hope that you need is found in the 66 books of the Bible. And if, it makes people feel that if they're struggling with depression, then maybe they're not a good enough Christian. Those things aren't helpful. Well, if you're, if you're struggling with depression, it's gotta be sin in your life. And then that begins to cause us to look inside to find out where's the sin that I'm supposed to find that will cure my depression but it seems to be a little bit deeper than that. And so for us, I don't wanna say that I'm, I'm better than anybody else in the fact that we're preaching about it because honestly, it's taken us six years as a church to get around to discussing this topic. And I believe this is something we as a church should come back to every 12 to 18 months or so and we should talk about it so that we can be prepared to better help other folks with it. So why are we talking about this today? Why is it so important? First of all, because people in this room today are suffering in silence. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people in this church this morning that are struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts and they feel like they need to keep it a secret. If anybody finds this out, if anybody knows, it'll be embarrassing, it'll hurt our church, it'll hurt my standing in our church. And I'm discussing this today saying to you, you no longer have to suffer in silence. You don't, you can be honest about it. You can fill out a connection card today and say, I'm struggling with depression and I need help. And I'm telling you this, I'll do everything in my power to help you to get the help that you need to make it. But no longer can we sit around and act like this doesn't exist in our church. 
Another reason why we want to talk about this today is I want to take away the stigma, the guilt, the embarrassment that comes with the label of depression. People feel like if they get labeled with something, that's automatically who they are and it defines who they are and it's now a stigma that's attached to them and then I'm no longer Anthony, I'm Anthony the guy that struggles with depression and it becomes a, a red mark against us. That can't be the case, folks. You wouldn't look at me and say, oh, he's Anthony the guy that struggles with headaches. He's Anthony the guy who uh, can't eat gluten. You wouldn't say things like that but yet we are quick to label somebody. Oh yeah, he's that guy that's always depressed. He's that guy that always uh, is, is down on, on, on life. And we label people and we associate a stigma with that. And today we're gonna discuss it frankly and openly to do away with any type of guilt, shame, stigma, embarrassment that would be associated with that. Next, I wanna give you the permission that you need to discuss your struggles. It's okay to say that you're not okay. It's all right. Here's the fact of the matter. I'm gonna be very honest with you. You're sitting in a room full of people who are an absolute, utter mess, apart from the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, every single person in this room is toast. Every single person. So when we look at other people and we say, well, I don't have it together like so-and-so. Hey, you don't know so-and-so's problems. Well, I wish I had a marriage like so-and-so. You trust me, you don't want their marriage. (laughs) I wish my kids were well-behaved like their kids. Trust me, you don't want their kids. I promise you that. But we look around and we begin to say things like, well, my life is terrible. But I wanna give you the permission that you need to discuss your struggles. I wanna give you the permission to get the help that you need. I wanna say to you today from the outset, if you need to go sit down and talk with a therapist or a counselor, you need to do that. If you need to talk to your doctor, you need to do that. If you need to make an appointment with your pastor, my schedule's open. But what you can't do is just hope that it goes away, hope that it gets better, while day after day, you drift farther and farther and farther away. Next one of the reasons we're talking about this is to give you the resources that you need to help yourself and to help other people. This is meant to be an equipping. That's why I gave you four pages of notes today. We tried to shove it all onto one sheet where you could fold it over and keep it, but it didn't work that way. Uh, I just wanted to give you some resources that you could use to help other people at the end of the message today. I'm gonna give you some books that I think will be helpful for you as you either help yourself or help other people as well. But also I wanna give you the spiritual solutions you need for the spiritual problems that you face. My job as a pastor is to equip you and prepare you for this life and how you can live your life according to the Bible, how you can find answers for this life and the next from the Bible. That's my job. I do wanna say from the very beginning as well that I'm not a medical doctor and I cannot give medical advice. I tell people when I sit down to help them and to talk them through their problems, I'm not a licensed counselor, I'm not a licensed therapist, I'm a pastor, and you know what? I'm just a really good friend. That's all I am. And if you need to get the help that you need, I wanna give you permission today to get the help that you need. It doesn't make you a bad Christian, it doesn't make you a terrible person, it makes you a person who no longer wants to live the way that you're living. I wanna give you the resources that you need to get the help that you need. The four pages of notes that you hold in your hand and the message here today really is a, a result of about 18 months of research on my part. I mean, I've been working on this for a year and a half uh, of collating resources, reading books and watching TED Talks and watching YouTube videos and uh, reading online forums and reading uh, different books by different Christian authors. I've read books by secular authors and things along those lines. Uh, God has blessed us with uh, three doctors in our church to specialize in, in mental health. Uh, I'd like to, to, to recognize them at this time. Dr. John Madera, John, would you stand for us. Uh, John is saying for us this morning, John is a uh, clinical uh, psychologist and therapist, uh, and she's a Christian. 
Uh, and I love that about her, and she helped us so much with the resources that we have. Thank you, John. You can have a seat. Uh, Dr. Eric Hamill, uh, Eric, would you stand up for us, if you would? Uh, Eric is doing his residency at Tripler as a psych- clinical psychiatrist. Uh, he comes at it from, uh, all these come from different perspectives with different uh, views that all support the Bible. Eric, thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Lauren Barnhill, Lauren's uh, not here today, but she'll be back next Sunday. Uh, I met with all three of these because they know so much more than I do about this, and we were able to talk through this together, and a lot of the resources that you'll find today in in our handout that we have came directly from them. Some of them are verbatim quotes that I took from them. Uh, And so the things that you hold in your hand is not because I'm a really smart person, but because I've collated some resources together along with the Bible, which has the answer for everything in life to help you, to help yourself, and to help other people. I want who we call to be a church where people can come and find the help that they need and not be judged and not feel awkward about saying that they're not okay and feeling okay to get the help that they need for the things that life sends their way. Our society as a whole has done a terrible job of preparing us for this. Our society has set us up for hopelessness and unhappiness. We're told from a very young age, you're good, you're great. Anything you try, you can succeed at. How many of you as a kid, someone, either your parents or a teacher or someone told you, if you wanna be the president of the United States, you can do it. How many had somebody tell you that? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you still believe that? Keep your hand up. Okay. For those of you that kept your hand raised, I'm gonna break it to you. You're never gonna be the president of the United States. You're just not. You're not rich enough, you're not connected enough, you know, you don't know enough people, you haven't paid off enough people, like, you're just not gonna make it. So some of you, that's your big takeaway. Like, wow, what'd you learn at church today? I am never gonna be president of the United States. But our society says, all you have to do is try harder and you'll do better. That you can have everything that your heart desires because you are great at everything that you do. But then there comes a point where you realize you're not great at everything you do. You can't have everything that you want. It's not a matter of just trying harder or working more, that you'll never reach what it is that you want, and you have to come face-to-face with that. And your only options when it comes to that are two things, either denial or depression. It's a letdown. When you realize that everything you've been taught your whole life just isn't so and it isn't true. Add to this the mess that we have that is known as social media, where everybody puts their greatest moments on display for everyone to look at. I've sat, before we had gone to Aulani for my daughter's birthday and we went to the character breakfast. And if you ever wanna find a really good way to blow $250 for breakfast, I highly recommend the Aulani buffet. But this lady sat across from us. I'm not even making this up. And she got her Mickey pancakes and she had the, the dollop of whipped cream on it and she had, uh, she had a glass of, uh, of something that she had sitting there perfectly and she had her napkin up there and she had a, a, a coach gift bag that was directly behind that and she was setting it up and she was taking pictures and then she had the, uh, the waiter take her picture and stuff like that with the, these pancakes that she had and these waffles and her fruit that was perfectly, uh, I mean, she had everything perfectly. It looked like, it looked like a Thanksgiving spread that she had there. And she's taking her pictures. She's having other people take her pictures. And she's taking her selfies. And she, she's not eating at all. She's just sitting there. Just sitting there taking pictures. And then, then Minnie Mouse comes by and she takes a picture of Minnie and her, her Mickey Mouse waffles that she has there. And then she sits there. And then Goofy comes by and she takes her picture of Goofy and has somebody else take her picture of Goofy. And she makes all these poses like this and stuff like that. And then she sits. 
And then Daisy comes by, and she gets a picture with, with Daisy, and they're laughing, and they're, they're making poses and stuff like that. Uh, and then, after all the characters have come by, she takes her plate, throws it away, gets her stuff, and leaves. She didn't eat anything. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? All that was just photo setup. And look, that buffet wasn't cheap. Uh, but she didn't eat a single bite of her food, just took a lot of pictures there. And I thought to myself, do people really do this? They do. They set up the, and craft the perfect photo and the perfect experience so that other people will look at that and go, wow, what a great life they have. Wow, look at everything that they have. And our social media feed sets us up for failure. My kids aren't well behaved like that. We don't have a family photo like that. Oh, look at where they went on vacation. They must be having such a great time. And you only see a small sliver of everything that's going on there. And it sets us up with this idea that we'll never have those things. And it creates in us a sense of failure. And when it comes to that, our only choices are either denial or depression. Again, as I've studied through this, I've, I've found some really interesting uh, words that uh, define uh, psychology and how the mind works and things like that. And uh, one of the, the, the folks in our church had said that social media and sets us up for what's known as an external locus, L-O-C-U-S, of control. If you want to write that down, locus of control, you should write that down and you should Google it because it's fascinating. It means what influences your happiness? Having an external locus of control says that external things affect my happiness. My job, my living situation, where I live, what kind of car I drive, how other people perceive me, that determines my level of happiness and fulfillment in this life. That's an external locus of control. She said, but we as Christians need an internal locus of control. I get to choose my own joy. I get to choose my own hope. I get to choose to believe in God's word to shape my minds, not the stuff that I'm getting from the outside. And so we as Christians don't have to be influenced from the world because the world has set us up for failure. As we look at depression, the dictionary definition of depression is a mental condition characterized by feelings of severe despondency and dejection, typically also with the feelings of inadequacy, guilt, often accompanied by a lack of energy and a disturbance of appetite and sleep. That's just a dictionary definition of it. We'll define it further as how uh, medical professionals would identify it. This is what we mean when we're talking about depression, severe sadness that extends for a long period of time, a feeling of hopelessness that we have. And as we look at this, it's important to understand, again, I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't speak to, to medical or emotional things, but we are physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. We're three-part beings. So when we look at who we are, we have a physical side, an emotional side, a spiritual side. I'm not an expert in the physical side. I'm not an expert in the emotional side, but I do consider myself somewhat an expert in the spiritual side. So as we discuss this topic of depression and suicide today, I want you to know I'm coming at it from a spiritual side. Now, it's not to say we don't need to discuss it from a physical side. We do. Not to say it's not, it has, doesn't have an emotional component. It does. But we are equipped with a body, a soul, and a spirit. That's what God's given us. Now, if you're a Christian and you're a child of God, you have a body, soul, and spirit. If there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, your spirit is born dead, separated from God. And because we're born spiritually dead, the only thing that can make our spirit come alive is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that once we were dead in our trespasses and sin, your spirit is born dead. 
You're born dead in your sin because you've sinned against God. Every person in this room has broken God's law. We've sinned against him. And because of that, our spirit is born dead. And if we die physically with a dead spirit, our spirit will stay dead for eternity in hell. That's God's punishment for your sin. Your punishment because you sinned against God is death and hell. And your spirit will live forever in a dead state separated from God forever. But if you are a child of God, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, your spirit came alive. And you became a child of God. And now your spirit is alive. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you to help your spirit make good decisions. And your spirit gets to live for eternity with God because it has been made alive in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and there's never been a time you've accepted Christ as Savior, today is your day. This is your opportunity. Because if you're not a child of God, everything I say from here on out won't make a lot of sense to you and frankly doesn't apply to you because we're looking at it from a spiritual aspect and your spirit is dead. Now we'll give you some helpful tips I think that would help anybody, but at the end of the day, the only hope that you have, the only hope that I have is Jesus Christ alone. That's it. It's the only hope that we have. So if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're a child of God, you're not sure that you're saved, put your faith in Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your new life begins from that point forward. I'm thankful that Jesus forgives anybody. I'm thankful that Jesus saves anybody. I'm thankful that Jesus is stronger than your depression. He's stronger than your anxiety. He's stronger than anything that this world could ever send you. Jesus is greater. And he's the only hope that you have. When we look at the body, soul, and spirit, the body is our physical component. This soul is our emotional component. This is your personality. This is who you are. These are the feelings that you feel. These are the emotions that you have. And your spirit is the part that is connected to God, your father. Again, if you're not a child of God, your spirit is dead and you're connected to no one but yourself. Very lonely place to live, I could say. But if you're a child of God, your spirit is connected to your father. And so when we look at this idea of depression, it's more than just, I'm sad. We have to view depression from a biological, psychological, social, spiritual perspective. And if you look at this, you see it's multifaceted. That's why we can't say to someone, you just need to read your Bible more and you won't be depressed. It's not that simple. By the same token, we can't say to someone, you just need to take your medication and you won't be depressed. It's all multifaceted and we have to attack this from every perspective. So we can't, it's not as simple as just throwing one thing your way. And if you're struggling with depression, I have to tell you this morning that there is no silver bullet. There's no magic cure. There's no magic pill that will make all this go away for you. But I can tell you this beyond a shadow of a doubt. The answer that your soul craves is Jesus Christ. Guarantee you that. And if you're willing to find the help that you need, I promise you this, I'm willing to help you find it as well. Major depressive disorder is a clinical diagnosis that causes significant distress and impairs your functioning. Major depressive disorder can be observed by having at least five of the following nine symptoms for two weeks or more. Deep sadness or emptiness, apathy or loss of interest, weight changes, psychomotor retardation, which is the slowing of the movement, sleep disturbance, lack of concentration, lack of energy or fatigue, feeling of worthlessness or guilt or preoccupation with death. 
Now, again, these are nine. If you have five of the nine for more than two weeks, you would be considered by definition clinically depressed. Now, again, don't, I hesitate to even talk about this because I don't want people to start looking for a problem where there's no problem. They say, I'm not sleeping that much and I gained weight over Thanksgiving. Maybe I'm depressed. <laughs> don't start looking for a problem where there isn't a problem, okay? But if you begin to look at this and say, hey, I think this looks a lot like the things that I'm struggling with. This looks like a lot of the things that I'm dealing with. Maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper. Predominantly, depression can be defined by hopelessness and a word that I learned called anhedonia, which means the inability to feel pleasure. Really, when it sums up at the end of the day, people who are depressed, they've lost hope. And they've lost the ability to feel pleasure anymore. The things that used to be fun and exciting aren't fun anymore. They used to love to go to the beach. They don't like the beach anymore. They used to love to go to their favorite restaurant. They have that meal and it just doesn't taste the same anymore. You go to your kid's birthday party when you should be excited and you should be thankful for everything that God's given you. You look back and you just wonder when you can go home and go to bed. And the things that used to bring pleasure no longer bring, bring, bring pleasure. You don't have that ability anymore to connect to pleasure. Let me say this. Again, I'm looking at this from a spiritual perspective. The cure for hopelessness is hope. Take a note, you should write that out to the side. Hopelessness, hope. The cure for anhedonia or to the inability to feel pleasure is joy. Again, caveat here. I'm approaching this from a spiritual perspective as a pastor. So, if the answer to depression from a spiritual perspective is hope and joy, then I need to protect my hope and my joy, and I need to pursue hope and joy. Now, again, important that we define terms. What is hope? Hope is a confident expectation based on the character and promises of God. You say, Pastor, you should have put this in the notes. I ran out of room. Hope is a confident expectation based on the character and promises of God. And I can have hope regardless of how dark my circumstances get because God promises in his word that he is trustworthy and he is faithful and I can hope in him. Joy is happiness based on spiritual realities. Joy is happiness based on spiritual realities. So I could have just lost my job, but I can still have joy because it's not based on my physical reality. It's based on my spiritual reality. I lost my job, but I'm still a child of God. I lost my job, but God still loves me. Everybody in my world has stabbed me in the back, yet I am still loved by God. That brings joy. So if hope and joy are the answer for this. We have to pursue and protect hope and joy at all costs. You know someone that steals your joy? <laughs> Get rid of it. Limit their influence. You know somebody that's trying to tear down the hope that you have? Put a little bit of distance between you and them. You're involved in some sinful activity? Sin steals your joy every single time. Every single time. Cut it off. I've got to protect and pursue my joy because it's the answer to overcoming this from a spiritual perspective. Now, as we look at depression, depression can come directly after mountaintop experiences. 
If you're in First Kings this morning, you can turn back to verse chapter number eighteen, verse number thirty-seven. First Kings eighteen thirty-seven. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that thou this people. This is Elijah speaking. This people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. After Elijah said this one sentence, what happened? The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trenches. I've prayed and God's done some pretty awesome stuff before. I've never prayed and immediately fire fell from heaven. That's like next level awesomeness, right? And Elijah did this and the same day, one day later, 24 hours later, we find him in the wilderness asking God to kill him. So, Oftentimes, we go through really highs in life and we, we ask ourselves the question, why am I so down? I should be super pumped about what happened. Why am I feeling this way? And depression doesn't always come because you have a crummy situation going on. Sometimes it can happen in the midst of a mountaintop. And that's what makes it so troubling. That's what makes this, it cause so many questions in our mind. While, the depression, while depression is a common experience, there isn't necessarily a common cause. What's the cause for depression? Nobody really knows. Multitude of things. It could be a neurobiology and gen- genetic predisposition. Could be chronic stress. Could be some type of trauma that you experienced. Could be adverse childhood experiences. You should take time and, and watch the TED Talk on ACE. Oh, it's fascinating stuff. And if you're a parent, you gotta watch it because you realize you're either helping your kids succeed in life or you're setting them up for failure by the way that you live your life. Sometimes it's sin or sinful behavior, sinful thoughts. I've known guys that struggle with depression because they were addicted to pornography and masturbation and it caused them to spiral into a deep depression. It could be sin in your life that just needs to be confessed and moved on from. It could be a multitude of these things. You could have experienced trauma which causes you to be into a sinful behavior which causes you to then give over to some genetic predisposition. The fact of the matter is we don't know because the causes aren't necessarily common. You can't always trace it back. Depression may not have a spiritual cause per se, but it's a deeply spiritual experience. Your depression might not be caused by any spiritual aspect, but it is a time where you, where you will need to lean on God like you never have in your entire life, and that makes this a deeply, deeply spiritual experience. Again, if we just look at uh, depression as an emotional problem that we have, or mainly just a physical problem that we have, we'll look at it from the wrong perspective. We'll look for the wrong sources of treatment if we don't look at it from a right perspective. Psalm 42, we looked at this last week. The psalmist said, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted? That word disquieted me. Why is there anxiety in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Soul, why are you so down? Why are you so bummed out? Why is there all this anxiety inside of you? And you know what he says? Hope in the Lord. Because wherever you're at, your greatest need will always be the Lord. Depression and all suffering brings us back face-to-face with critical spiritual realities. 
again, at the end of the day, your depression, like all other trials that we've been taking a look at for the last 12 weeks, is meant to bring you face to face with the fact that you are not enough, you need God's help. And without him, you're toast. This has been the theme through our series on affliction. You need God for the tough times in life. You need God for the good times in life. But your suffering is meant to bring you face to face with the reality that you need God like you've never needed him before in your entire life. And you have to lean on him during these times. This is your opportunity to say, where does my trust lie? Whom will I trust in this time? Where will I run to? Know this, when difficult times come, you'll run somewhere, guaranteed. I've known people who have self-medicated their depression with alcohol. I'm gonna drink it away. When I drink, I don't feel as if not feeling is the answer to your depression. You look at that and you go, well, I've never gotten to that point. Never gotten so bad before. I've known other people who have self-medicated with retail therapy. Ever done that? I'm gonna buy something that'll make me feel better. I've known people who have bought cars that they couldn't afford to make themselves feel better. <laughs> That's a recipe for disaster. You get that first payment and your depression's gonna get considerably worse. I've known people who have bought expensive vacations thinking, oh, I just need to get away. So I'm gonna go on a $10,000 cruise. That's not the answer to your problem. They self-medicate with things they think will make them better. Know people who have self-medicated with unhealthy relationships or looking for sex outside of marriage as a way to self-medicate. Friend, at the end of the day, you need to come back to the fact that the hope that you're looking for is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And your depression will show who you really trust during this time. I want to tell you this morning that it's okay to be depressed. You just can't live there. I want to give you permission and validate how you feel, but I want to tell you, you can't continue to feel this way and not fight. So many times people give up when depression comes and they say, just depressed, I can't get over this. I'll never get past it and this is just who I am. And they lay down and they build their house around their depression. They set up shop in their depression. Friend, you can't live there. You have to fight. Your feelings are not necessarily sinful. They're emotions. They're God-given emotions that God gave you to feel. When you feel deep sadness, God allows you to feel that deep sadness. So feelings aren't necessarily sinful, but the way that we process through our feelings could be sinful. Because you're sad for an extended period of time doesn't make you a bad Christian. Somebody committed a grievous act against you and you're sad or you're, you're hurt or you're damaged because of it. It doesn't make you a bad person or a bad Christian, but friend, you can't live there. If you're abused as a child, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. It hurts the heart of God that that happened to you. But friend, you cannot allow that to become your identity. This is who I am. This is who I will always be because this happened to me. No, 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 no. You've forgotten. You're a child of God. You are new, you are transformed, and you're a new creature by God. You cannot set up shop and you cannot live there. Psalm 44, 23, awake, why sleepest thou, Lord? Arise, cast us not for, off forever. 
Wherefore, hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, and our belly cleaveth into the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem for thy mercy's sake. David said, God, wake up. I'm hurting. God, wake up. I'm struggling. But you know what he's saying? I want to fight against this. I'm not going to lay down. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to continue to seek out the Lord's help as I walk through this. Is it wrong to feel angry? But it's a sin for that anger to turn to hate. Anger is not a sin. God gave you the emotion. But you can't allow your anger to turn to hatred or bitterness. Those are sins and they'll ruin you. It's not wrong to feel sad, but it's a sin for your sadness to become your identity. I've seen people's lives ruined because their pain becomes their identity. And let me tell you this, it's so much easier to allow that to happen. It's so much easier to say, I'm damaged, I'm hurt, this is my pain. This is who I am because of what's happened to me. It's easy to latch onto that because you don't have to fight. You just give up and you label yourself. I'm just hurt, I'm just damaged goods. I experienced this trauma that I'll never get past. I'll never be able to be what I should be because of what my dad did to me or what my mom did to me or because of what happened with my parents. I'll always be this. And we, it's so much easier to lay down and just label yourself and give up, but you can't do that. You have to stand up and fight and say, no, 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 this is not who I am. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and adopt me into his family for me to stay in my self-pity, my depression, my hurt. No, he redeemed me and made me new. And I'm no longer my failures. I'm no longer my shortcomings. I'm no longer what's happened to me. I am a child of God. And that's who I choose to be. It's okay to be depressed. You just can't live there. And if you find yourself living there, where you set up shot, you pitched your tent, you're content there, I want today to be the thing that grabs you by the shoulders and shakes you and says, wake up, we're not living here anymore. We're gonna get out of this. We're gonna process through this. We're gonna get through this together. Take a look at 1 Kings again this morning, verse number, chapter number 19. Verse number four, says, but he, speaking of Elijah, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life for I'm not better than my father's. You know, sometimes Christians feel so badly that they just want to die. I want you to know that if you've had those thoughts, it doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you a terrible person. Those thoughts come from time to time. But I have to tell you this this morning. You cannot allow those thoughts to continue. You can't. You cannot allow yourself to entertain those thoughts. You can't. Suicide's a permanent solution for a temporary situation. Whatever you're feeling will not last forever. You say, but my father passed away and he's never coming back. I agree, but the pain that you're experiencing at this moment will not last forever. For those who've had to bury their own children, terrible thought. I cannot fathom the pain that would be in a parent's heart. But I'm telling you this, the pain that you have will not last that intensely forever. It will get better. And suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary situation. 
one of the best friends I've ever had in my entire life. His name was Jeremy. We served on a church staff together in California. We would uh, gather together at 7 a.m. Work started at 8. We'd gather together at 7, he and I in his office, and we would pray for an hour every day before we went into work for probably about 18 months. Pray for our church. We prayed for our pastor. We prayed for our, our wives. We prayed for our kids. Prayed for one another. We just shared a lot. We grew really, really close. One of the best friends I've ever had in my life would, would literally give you the shirt off of his back, would give you the keys to his car, would give you the last $20 out of his wallet. And you talk about a friend. We served on church staff together. This guy loved Jesus. He taught a Sunday school class, a single adult who was leading people to Christ, always having people in his home, always talking about the goodness of God. He had um, gotten involved in sin, had a shoulder surgery. They gave him some uh, narcotic opioid medication to take. Got hooked on painkillers. Couldn't get him from his doctor anymore. Started buying him on the street. Left his wife. Left his five kids. Got involved in drugs. One night he took his gun, shot another man, killed him. Drove his car to his parents' house and took his own life in his parents' driveway. That was 2014. There's not a single week that goes by that I don't think about that. For probably, the, I would say the, probably the first three years were the hardest because every day that I thought about it, I woke up and I thought, I should have done something more. I should have called more. I should have reached out more. I still had the last text message that I got from him on my phone. I've never erased it. I still think about him from time to time. One of the, the Bibles that I packed on a trip that I recently took was a Bible that he'd given to me. It had some of his notes in the margin in the book of James. Sometimes I'll hear people tell a joke that he told and it'll hurt. Sometimes I'll be walking through an airport and I think that I see him somewhere. And it hurts. And the pain never goes away. He has five kids. His oldest son just graduated from Bible college this past May. And I talked to him on the phone a few months ago and just told him, I'm really proud of you. I know your dad would have been proud of you too. Hard. I took Vanderlei back to, to visit the, uh, the college that I graduated from uh, last week. And I saw a lot of places that he and I would have coffee or he and I would talk, went to a restaurant, had dinner one night at a restaurant that he and I had sat in one of the booths there so many times. We talked about family and life and people we prayed for and stuff like that. And it's gone. And I think to myself, the situation that he was in, left his wife, involved, hooked on drugs, all those things were fixable. Even if he'd taken another man's life, that's not the end of your story. But it was a temporary pain that was so great that he felt like he could not overcome and he took his own life. And here's the worst part about it. The suffering only began for everybody that he knew. And it's a pain that I carry to this day that I'll never get over in this life. See, people who commit suicide have an overwhelming feeling of helplessness and hopelessness and worthlessness. And studies tell us that most suicidal people don't necessarily want to die. They just want the pain to stop. And I've been there before where the pain is so intense that you just want it to quit. You just want to go to bed and, and maybe you hope you never wake up. But I'm telling you this, on the other side is hope, on the other side is help. And if we look at things from a spiritual perspective, we'll realize that we are not worthless. God loved you so much that he gave his only son to die for your sins and that's how much you are worth to God, his own son, the best that he had. You are not hopeless. 
You have hope and all the promises of the word of God at your disposal. And God loves you so much that he wrote his word to you full of promises to get you through each and every day. And you're not helpless. God has given you, if you're his child, the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's given you his word. He's given you his church. He's given you a family here of people that love you and care about you and want to see you make it through this. Friend, suicide is never under any circumstances the answer. And we as Christians need to just say, hey, that's off the table. Just off the table. I don't care how bad life gets, it's not going to get that bad. I even told my wife, hey, if you ever find my body and there's a, a note beside that, just know somebody killed me and set it up. And tell the cops that. This didn't happen, this is a setup. Because I love you too much, I love my children too much, and I love Jesus too much to ever, ever get to that point. I just can't. And friend, if, if that's you, you find yourself at that point, call for help. Call me, you and I can call for help together. Call me, I'll ride with you to get help. But what you can't do is you cannot entertain those thoughts because it leads nowhere good. Suicide doesn't end suffering for those around you. It only takes it to a new level that never leaves. So many times suicidal people will leave notes saying things like, I've caused you so much pain and I just want to end that. Friend, you didn't end any pain, you just took it to another level and it never stops. Suicide, this would be an incredibly inflammatory statement, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Suicide is one of the most selfish things another human being can do because it damages every life that they ever touched. And so friend, as Christians, we need to just say, hey, that's off the table. I'm never gonna go there. I'm not ever gonna allow my thoughts to go there because it doesn't end anything Suicide presents the illusion of it being a solitary act, but the fact of the matter is it affects every person you ever knew. No person is an island. No person is a person that doesn't touch someone else. And again, when pastors, when Christians commit suicide, it says to the outside world, they said that they had hope, but there really wasn't any hope. They said that they have the answers, but they never really had the answers. Now, we know it's a little bit deeper than that. We know it's a little bit more multifaceted than that. But I love Jesus, and I love this church too much. I know this. If you're part of who we call a Baptist church and you took your own life, it would devastate your pastor. It would devastate your church family. And I don't know that me as a pastor, I would ever fully recover from that. And so if you're here today and you struggle with that, please, please, do not suffer in silence. This is your permission to raise your hand and say, I'm not okay, and I could use some help. But we cannot, cannot allow those thoughts to continue. Suicide always creates more pain than it alleviates, always 100% of the time, not most of the time, not some of the time. It always creates more pain than it would ever alleviate. And it's a temporary solution that becomes permanent for everyone else. Now, what does the Bible say about suicide? Anytime a pastor commits suicide or a Christian commits suicide, there's so much bad information that gets put out. We're gonna take a look at what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about suicide? First of all, taking your own life is a sin, period. <clears throat> First of all, the commandment, thou shalt not kill, it's a violation of the commandment. It's a disobedience to God, which is committing a sin. Secondly, 
It's a presumption on God's sovereign prerogatives. In other words, God's not in charge anymore. I am, and I'm taking matters into my own hands. You're not trusting in God's sovereignty, and that is a sin. Thirdly, a failure to trust in God for the help that you need to survive and cope is a sin. A loss of hope in God is a sin. So we can say firmly that if a Christian commits suicide, it's a sin, 100%, all the time. Now, I'm not talking about does a person have to go through extenuating circumstances to stay alive in the event of a car crash or something like that. We're talking about someone who would willingly take their own life. It's a sin. And, and that's a topic for another day. We don't got enough notes to get through that today. But we can say it's 100% a sin. So then the question is, well, does a Christian who commits suicide, do they go to heaven? The Christians who commit suicide, do they automatically go to hell? Does every person who commits suicide automatically go to hell? Here's the great news that I have for you this morning. There's no sin that is so great to separate you from the grace of God. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, nothing you do or anyone else does can take that gift of salvation away from you. Can't do it. <clears throat> so we can be on firm biblical ground and say, if a Christian takes their own life, would they go to heaven? The answer to that is yes, because salvation, because heaven is not a matter of abstaining from sinful acts. It's a matter of putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, false religion, Catholicism has said any person that takes their own life is automatically going to hell because their faith is not in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Their faith is in your good behavior and your ability to hopefully one day make it to heaven. Our faith is not there. Our faith is in the fact that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. So my friend who committed a homicide suicide, I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's in heaven today. He finished his life incredibly poorly. He left a terrible legacy for his family. He left a terrible testimony for Jesus Christ and his church. But he was a child of God who committed an act because he was overcome by chemical dependency on drugs. His mind was clouded and wasn't able to think clearly from a psychological standpoint. And from a spiritual aspect, his sin had gotten into his heart and he committed a heinous act by any person's definition. But our hope for heaven is not based on our good behavior. It's based upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now, I've known people before who have said, the only reason I have never committed suicide because I thought I would go to hell. Don't let this be your opportunity that now you have permission. You can't. It's off the table, period. I just want to go see Jesus. He'll get you there in his time, I promise. But you don't take matters into your own hands, period. And if you're struggling, call the phone number for help. Call your pastor for help. We'll call the number together. You're going to get the help that you need, but you cannot allow yourself to entertain these thoughts any longer. Next, what do we see Elijah do? Verse number 12, Elijah found God speaking in the small things. Verse number 11 in our passage here, and he said, go forth and stand up on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind rent or tore the mountains in pieces and break into pieces of rocks before the Lord. God came and tore mountains apart in front of him. Just think about verse number 11. Elijah's standing there, and it says, the Lord passed by. I can't imagine the experience of feeling that. We were driving down the H1 freeway the other night and the sky was lit up with lightning. Man, we don't see stuff like that here, right? 
cars pull over, people taking pictures of lightning. I grew up in the South. It's like lightning is like Thursday, right? People are like, ah, oh, people are posting pictures on, in, on social media and Instagram and stuff like that. The lightning, just the, the entire sky lit up with that. Elijah didn't just see the, the, the sky light up. He saw the Lord pass by. And what happened? The rocks and mountains tore apart and the rocks broke into pieces. But it says that God wasn't in the mountains. Next, he saw an earthquake come by. Verse number 12. And then a fire. But God wasn't in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire. You know where God was? God was in this still, small voice. All this happening around Elijah and God just says, hey, Elijah, Elijah. So many times when we're struggling with depression, we want to see God bring the big things. We want to see him move mountains. But we fail to stop and just see God in the everyday. When we wake up, we don't think to ourselves, got another day to make a difference. God, thank you for another day of life. We don't look at our kids in the morning and say, God, thank you for these children that you've chosen to bless me with. The Bible says children are a heritage of the Lord, but sometimes we see our kids as a problem or a nuisance just another mouth to feed. No, no, no. These kids are a blessing. God, thank you for the blessing of my children. We don't see, we, we live in a place where it's easy to see God's hand at work. Whether it's a sunrise coming up over Diamond Head, whether it's a sunset on the North Shore or out on the, the west side of our island. We, we fail to see that. I drove over to uh, the Windward side yesterday. And uh, I got out, and I, I was walking, and I looked up in the Kolau Mountains. Oh, wow. And it was raining. And I just stopped for a minute. Instead of like, oh, great, it's raining. I stopped, and I just listened to the rain over the canopy of trees. And I saw the clouds washing over the mountains, and I thought, oh, the greatness of God. But you know what happens when we're depressed? You just say, oh, it's raining. I think I'll go back to bed. Oh, great, rain, I don't even have an umbrella. Great, no, 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 stop and see God in the small things, just the little things. That changes everything. If you're looking for God to to move mountains in front of you, it's probably not gonna happen this afternoon, but if you're looking for the small things, you'll see it before you get out of here today. You found God in the small things. John Piper, pastor and author, said, rivet your attention on Christ Faith is sustained by looking at Christ crucified and risen, not by turning from Christ to analyze your faith. Let me help you look to Christ. Read Luke 22 through 24. But paradoxically, if we would experience the joy of faith, we have to not focus on our faith itself. We have to focus on Jesus. Don't start analyzing yourself, saying, why do I feel this way? Why is my faith wavering? Why is, why is it my faith as strong as it should be? No, no, no. Don't look at your faith. Look to Christ. Don't look at your own shortcomings. Look to Jesus. Put your focus and put your attention on him. Put your perspective on him. And always remember what you're feeling will get better. Elijah, in our passage here, God told him, sleep, eat. In verse number eight, he said he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah, who just wanted to lay under a tree and ask God to kill him, had a couple nights of sleep, had a couple of good meals, and he got up and pressed on for 40 days. What you're feeling is gonna get better. It's gonna take time. It's not gonna be overnight per se. 
I was talking with a man yesterday, and I told him you can't change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction overnight. You can change the way that you're going. You can take your eyes off of you and your situation. You can put your eyes on Christ and the promises of his word, and it'll change everything. Take a look in this passage. We don't have time to, to, to dissect this, but if you look at Elijah's journey to hope, you know what Elijah did? <laughs> Very simple. He ate quality food, verses five and seven. God baked the cake for him. He hydrated. He got a couple good nights of sleep. He exercised. He walked on for 40 days. He spent some time alone with God in a cave. And then he looked for God in the small things. That's what Elijah did. And again, I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm telling you, if you get a good night's sleep, you're gonna feel better. I talk to folks who say, I only sleep an hour or two a night. You can't live like that. You can't. Well, I, I just worry so much. I think about it so much. I got so much on my mind. You can't live that way. You gotta get a good night's sleep. You know, I'm telling you this, and I'm not a medical doctor, but I know this from experience. Eating McDonald's drive-thru and Panda Express every day will not help you to, to function at optimal capacity. I know I've tried it and it doesn't work. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. When I eat bad food, I feel bad. I just do. And again, if we look at our life from an, a physical, emotional, spiritual aspect, I can't take care of the spiritual and torpedo my physical side. I just can't. There is multitudes of studies on the links between overcoming depression and exercise. Exercise. Go for a walk. It's free. Go for a walk and find 10 things to thank God for. How about that? You can take care of your physical and your spiritual at the same, same time. Man, uh, for me, I go to the gym Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. every morning. Why? Because it helps me to clear my head physically to allow me to focus on the things that need to be focused on. It's funny, sometimes I'm at the gym, uh, and, and Thatcher, he knows not to do this anymore, but early on, I'd be at the gym, I'd be lifting weights and stuff, he'd be like, hey, Dad, I, uh, that phone call I was supposed to make, I said, ah, shut up. What? No, no, no. I am here right now to focus on clearing my head. I don't need stuff added to it. And again, physical exercise will help you, even a small amount. Spending time alone with God, I can't overstate that. You got to be in the Word. You got to spend time in prayer. Again, for me, at 5 a.m., I wake up, I spend time in the Word and prayer. At 6 o'clock, I go to the gym. Uh, generally, most days, I get back at 7.30 or so. I eat a good breakfast, and I start my day. Why? Because I got to take care of my physical, spiritual, and emotional side of it. Understand that this is a process. Again, there's no silver bullet. There's no magic fix for any of this. It's a process that we have to go through. And here's the important part that many people miss when it comes to depression. The goal is not to stop feeling. The goal is to feel these feelings, embrace these feelings, and then process through how we feel what we feel. Can you imagine if a family member passed away and you felt no sadness? It would be a terrible thing. If you've had that happen, you should feel sadness. God's given you that emotion to feel, but you can't latch on to that emotion and let it become your identity. You need to process through that and how you feel about it and how to move forward from it. The goal isn't to take away your feeling that you have. I read a quote through my studies that, I, that, oh man, so true, that Jesus Christ did not come to take away our pain and suffering, but to share it. Jesus didn't come so you'd never feel pain again. Jesus came so that you could say, my Savior knows what it feels like. 
He stood at the grave of his friend Lazarus and wept. He knows what loss feels like. He knows what it's like when a coworker stabs him in the back. He had somebody betray him. He knows what it feels like to be wrongfully accused. He knows what it means to have to walk a path that you don't really want to walk, but you choose to anyways for God's glory. He knows that. He didn't come to take away your pain and suffering. He came to say, yeah, I've been there and I've gotten through it and you can go not in your own strength, but in my strength. He didn't come to take away your pain, but to share it. Now the question comes up, is it a sin for Christians to take medication for depression? This is incredibly important. It's not a sin to take medication that will allow you the clarity to fix your focus on Jesus Christ. But let me say this. If you think that by taking a pill, all of your problems go away, I can tell you with 100% certainty that that is a sin because it's not reality. If, you th if your plan for getting through with the rest of your life is to take 12 pills a day and hopefully you won't have to feel these things anymore, that's not a plan that's a medication regimen that you're on. And you need, if your doctor says, and again, I defer to a medical doctor at this point. If your doctor says that you need to take medication to allow your head and your heart to be able to think clearly, to focus on Jesus Christ and your source of everlasting hope, then the Bible says you're 100% in the clear. We wouldn't say to somebody, don't take a, a Tylenol for your headache. It'd be foolish advice. If you need it, take it. But if your plan for getting by every day is to take 12 Tylenol a day, I think all of us would say, hey, let's find out what's really going on in your noggin so that we can fix what's broken there. <laughs> John Piper says, uh, of course, by itself, medicine's never a solution to spiritual darkness. All the fundamental issues of life remain to be brought into proper relation to Christ when the medicine has done its work. The cure for hopelessness is hope and Jesus should always be our first option, not the last. Man, I need to spend lots of time in prayer, fasting, seeking God's face before I ever decide to go down a road to take medication. I need to make sure that Jesus Christ is my first stop along the way of the road to recovery instead of the last ditch effort that I have. One author said antidepressants will not give you hope, but they might make you feel less miserable. Some truth in that. But again, the focus here is not to necessarily find a medication regimen that works for us, but allow us to have the clarity of mind and heart to fix our eyes on Christ. Now, again, mind you, this morning we're talking about depression, and I'm talking to you from a spiritual perspective. I'm not a medical doctor, so do whatever your doctor tells you to do or find another doctor. And we're not talking about things like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or, or anything like that that has deep-rooted psychological and medical issues. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the issue of depression, which is a hopelessness. And hope can be found in Christ himself. Uh, author Edward Welch said this, medication versus no medication. He said it's unclear whether medication is any more helpful than counseling based on all the studies that they've done over the years. It's unclear whether counseling is any better overall than talking to a wise friend. Even in cases of severe depression, careful analysis of the evidence doesn't always demonstrate the superior effectiveness of medication over secular counseling, but you'd expect at least similar results when you use scripture to guide you. Again, I've known people who medication plus a good counseling and therapy program was the tool that they needed to overcome this depression. If that's you, I 100% support you. But if your goal is just to stop feeling 
and your medication causes you to stop feeling, I would caution you against that because you'll never find hope there. I've known people on medication before that they weren't depressed anymore, but they also weren't excited when they had their first child. Completely stone-faced. They didn't feel the sadness anymore, but at the same time, they didn't feel happiness. And that's not a solution. We are emotional beings. God created us with emotion. We should feel, but we have to process through our feelings. It's a sin to put my whole hope and lasting trust on anything other than Jesus. Again, this goes back to self-medication of drugs or alcohol or sexual relationships or, or money or status. And we try to self-medicate our depression. You put your hope anywhere other than Jesus Christ, you're setting yourself up for failure. And at the end of the day, you cannot medicate away the problems of life. You just can't. If you were sexually assaulted, you can't take a pill that makes that go away. You just can't. There's, it doesn't work that way. Your marriage fell apart or has fallen apart. You can't take a pill that makes that go away. You get a death of a child. You can't take a pill that makes that go away. You got to process through that with the help of Jesus Christ. Next, I want you to know the help's nearby. Elijah told God in verse number uh, 11, he says, I'm here by myself. Verse number 10, he says, I'm here by myself. Everybody's forgotten you. Everybody's left you. But if we look at verse number 18, what God says, yet I have left 7,000 in Israel, all knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. You know what God says? Elijah, I know you feel like you're alone, but I got 7,000 other guys that are waiting to help you. They're back in Israel. And Elijah realized he's not alone. God didn't leave him out in the wilderness by himself to die because he has help that's nearby. And I tell you, friend here, you are not alone. You're not suffering through this alone. And if you feel alone, I'm here to tell you today, your feelings aren't reality because you have people around you to help you. You need to be surrounded by a loving, caring, committed group of Christians. We call this the church. And let me tell you this, if you're struggling here today, I know three dozen people who would drop everything that they have to help you right here where you are today. Guaranteed. The Bible commands us to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ that the strong should bear the infirmities of the weak. We should rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's what the church does. And I want you to remember that you have God as your father. You have Jesus Christ as your brother. You have the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. You have all the promises of the word of God. You have a church family that loves you. You have a pastor who prays for you and you have every resource at your disposal to make it. You are not alone, guaranteed. And if you feel that way, just know that that is a lie from the pit of hell and the devil himself who wants to tell you, you're alone, keep this quiet, don't tell anybody because they'll turn you away. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You're not alone and you have every resource at your disposal that you need to make it. You say, well, pastor, I haven't made it yet. I get it. That's why God's not just the God of the victory, but he's God of the process. God's just not the God at the, at the finish line that's clapping for you going, come on, you can make it. Come on, you can make it. Just a few more months, just a few more years, you can make it, come on. God's not the God that's waiting at the finish line. God is the God who is carrying you through this process. He's not the God of the, vic of the victory only. He's the God of the process. He's carrying you through this. 
And so many times you want to stiff arm him when he tries to carry you. You want to kick and you want to wallow in your self-pity and your self-doubt and your self-hatred. And you want to say, no, 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 this is a depression. And God says, come on, we got this. We can get through this together. And it's a process that we have to go through. Elijah didn't get help overnight, but he got better day by day. And, 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 Overcoming depression is not a linear process where it's always gonna be up and to the right. There's gonna be ups and there's gonna be downs along the way, but hopefully over a six-month period of time, we're gonna see a little bit of progress day by day. But it's a process we gotta walk through. It's not gonna be an overnight fix. Hope is a skill that takes practice. That's why we as Christians say we practice our faith. How do we practice our faith? Through prayer, Bible reading, praising God, worshiping together, worshiping uh, alone with God. That's how we practice our faith. and That's where hope comes from. Joy in Jesus and lasting hope requires a commitment to renewing your mind and trusting on the promises of God that he is working and walking with you throughout this darkness. Romans chapter 12, verse number two, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. At the end of the day, you've got to get your head and your heart changed so that they fall in line with the truth of God's word. All of this goes back, I want to be very clear, all of this goes back to changing your mind and changing your heart because you cannot change your circumstances on your own. There are many things that will happen to you or have happened to you that are out of your control. You cannot change, but you can change what you think and what you meditate on. That I do have control over. That is my internal locus of control. I can change what I think. That's why the Bible tells us in Philippians 4.8 what we should think on. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Change your mind, change your thinking. There's no verse, there's no pill, no possession that will make hope magically appear. But you need to continue reciting the Psalms that you've learned. That's part of the practice of hope. Hope is, takes practice. I choose today to believe in the promises of God's word. So what are things we should think on? We should remember that we're created by God. We're loved by God. We're accepted by God. We're forgiven by God. I'm approved by God. I'm transformed by God. And it, hey, look, it doesn't make you a weirdo if you want to write these up on a three by five card and put them on your mirror while you're brushing your teeth in the morning. Maybe you need to commit these to memory along with some other scripture that'll be helpful to you. Maybe you need to take these, these notes that you have and walk through them every single day. You just need to remember these are the things I have to think about. Final thoughts this morning. What are some ways that you can help somebody else? First of all, listen to them and validate their feelings. Hey, tell me how you feel. You know how to shut down a conversation really quickly and not help anybody? You're still upset about that? Oh, my soul. That was like so five years ago. What's wrong with you? Shut down. You'll never get an opportunity to talk about that again. Wow. I didn't realize that that was still hurtful for you. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I can see how you'd feel that way. Validate how they feel. Again, there are times where people's feelings that they have are so real to them, but they might be so small to you. Maybe it's a, a death of a family pet. You might look at that and go, are you really crying about the kid's goldfish? That's real to them. Don't invalidate that. Validate their feelings. Secondly, ask them if they've ever thought of hurting themselves. If you've ever had suicidal thoughts. Now, 
back when I was in high school, a while back, they said, don't ever ask anybody that. You're planting a thought in their head. Maybe they haven't thought about that, but you gave them a thought. There's no research that shows that that is valid whatsoever, none. But by talking about it, we can find out where they're at. And here's the thing, they say, yeah, I have suicidal thoughts. Could, could we get help together on that and talk to somebody? Do you have somebody you're talking to about that? Can, can we, how serious are these thoughts? Have you ever planned it out? And again, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, I'm just a really good friend who knows that if I have somebody that I consider to be a friend who's thinking about taking their own life and hurting them, I'm gonna do whatever I can to protect them. And I'm gonna find out, have you thought this through? Have you ever written out a note? Have you ever put together a plan? Have you ever really like thought about going through this? No, I haven't, I'm just tired of the pain. I get it, I'm tired of the pain too, but this is not a serious threat, is it? And let them know, I couldn't live with myself if I knew that you took your life after having this conversation. I want you to get that. I care about you. This is how we help people. Next, pray for them and then check back in and see how they're doing. Nothing worse in the world than telling somebody that you have a problem and then they ghost you. Oh, wow. I told them I was having a rough time and never heard from them again. And, And let me tell you this, if you're not used to checking in on people, it's awkward. Just push through it anyways. Hey, you remember that conversation we had a couple weeks ago? How are things going with that? Hey, just wanna let you know I was thinking of you praying for, and maybe you're such a chicken that you just have to send a text message. That's fine, be a chicken. Let them know. I was thinking about you today in that conversation we had last week. Are you doing okay with that? How are you doing? If you just act like it never happened and you never bring it up again, that further adds to the shame that they should have never said anything to begin with because now it's just weird between us. I should have kept it to myself. I shouldn't have talked about it because now things are just awkward between us. Check back in with them. Next, point them to resources that'll help. I'm gonna give you some resources in just a moment uh, that I believe will help you and allow you to help other people. Now, how do you help yourself? First of all, don't isolate yourself. You need relationships right now. Depression thrives on isolation. You just wanna disconnect from everybody. You wanna push everybody away. You wanna pull the shades. You wanna take a nap. You wanna lay in bed and watch Netflix uh, all day. You can't do that. You need relationships. You need people around you. Next, be more faithful to church, not less. Loads of research have shown that people that struggle with depression find help in community. (laughs) It's great that God put together a community like that for us called the church. The more that you're in church, the more that you'll be helped. This goes for any Christian, not if you're struggling with depression. The more that you come to church, the more that you'll be helped. The more that you're around God's people, the more you find a deeper sense of family and community. The more you hear God's word, the more that you can latch on to the truth that you find in God's word. The more you're in church, the better. If you're just coming on Sunday mornings, come on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. If you're not part of a small group, show up on Wednesday, be a part of a small group. And hey, this is a place where beginning immediately, effective immediately, as long as this guy's the pastor, somebody in their group, it's okay for somebody on Wednesday night to say, hey, could you pray for me? I'm struggling with anxiety and depression, but I'm getting the help that I need. And we need to say, amen. I'm praying for that this week. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Not just like, did he really just say that out loud? Wow, that's embarrassing. No, no, no. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. With me? So beginning today, this is a place where it's okay to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Could you pray for me? And we say, got it. I'm praying for you. And so be more faithful to church, not less. Next, take care of yourself. I'm talking about pay attention to what you eat, get exercise, get plenty of sleep. (laughs) I'm gonna say this, it's crazy, I know. 
meditation. Now, for me, here's what I do. I read my Bible. I spend time in prayer. I go to the gym. I eat breakfast. I go on about my day. I went to my doctor. I'm, I'm going to be really transparent with you because we're just being transparent today, all right? I went to my doctor a few weeks ago, and, and my doctor, I have a regular checkup, which I highly recommend that you do. I went to my doctor, and I said, Doc, I'm having some problems. Don't freak out. I'm having some chest pain and shortness of breath. He says, okay. Uh, he begins to ask me a bunch of questions, stuff like that. Is it exercise related? No. He listens to my heart, listens to my back. They run an EKG, so everything's fine. Uh, he said, do this. It's a technique we call box breathing. You, you inhale for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, and then let out for four seconds, hold that for four seconds, then inhale again for four seconds. He says, each corner is a box. You hold it for four seconds. I said, okay. I get through like three seconds, and I can't hold my breath any longer. And he goes, just, okay, hold your breath for as long as you can. I got to like four seconds. And he says, okay, because you're struggling with anxiety. I'm fine. Everything's cool. It's not anxiety. It's something else. He says, no, it's not. He says, if you were swimming in a pool, could you stay underwater for more than four seconds? I go, yeah. He goes, but sitting in my office here, you can't hold your breath for more than four seconds. I go, right. He goes, it's anxiety. He goes, you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night gasping for air. I go, yeah. He goes, you have to sleep at me along with your anxiety. Well, this is not helpful. Um, (laughs) And he says, do you ever have any downtime where you do nothing? I said, yeah. Every morning I read my Bible and pray. He goes, no, no, I'm talking like, you don't think, you just like relax. He goes, what do you do to relax? I said, I go to the gym. And he goes, that's not relaxing. Well, it's just relaxing for me. He goes, no, no, I'm talking, he said, do you ever like just sit and stare at the water? No, I don't have time for that. (laughs) And he goes, okay. And so he says, well, I recommend that you download an app for meditation. I go, this is the dumbest thing in the world, dumbest thing in the world. I'm even embarrassed telling you this morning. Uh, But I I downloaded the app, and I'm listening to the app, and it's some guy, he's talking me through breathing. (laughs) Breathe, deep breaths, close your eyes, feel your whole body relax. And I'm thinking to myself, this thing's stupid. Imagine a bright ball of light right above your head, and liquid sunlight is just dripping into the top of your body, and it begins to fill up your toes. And I'm going, oh, this is really, and I'm embarrassed even telling you this. I'm listening to it, and I did it, and I finished out the 10 minutes, and I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. But it says, do it again tomorrow and start a streak. Oh, I like streaks. I, can, I like streaks. I don't ever like to miss a day at anything, right? <laughs> so the next day I did it, and I did it the day after that. I did it. And you know what I found? Stopping consciously breathing and trying not to think about everything that's going crazy in my life right now actually helped. Wow, who knew? So, hey, guess what? Download an app and meditate if it works for you, okay? Now, again, I wanna, I wanna give a caveat here. I'm not talking about these apps where you connect with the power of the universe or breathe in and feel the power of the universe fill your lungs and you are a strong being now because of the power of the universe. I'm not talking about that kind of meditation. I'm just talking about relaxing and breathing. It helped me. So whatever you gotta do to make that happen, make it happen. Next, get the help that you need. See your doctor, get a CBC, get all your hormone levels checked if you're struggling. Angela went to the doctor as part of her regular physical and found out that she has a vitamin D deficiency. You know what they said? Get more sun. And so she did. She started going outside and walking more and stuff like that. And you know what? She went back and had her CBCs checked and guess what? Her vitamin D level is still incredibly low, like crushingly low. And so they put her on vitamin D medication. Guess what? It still hasn't worked. Do you know what some of the symptoms of a vitamin D deficiency are? Fatigue, getting sick easily. The third one, you know what it is? depression. Wow. 
Something as simple as your vitamin D deficiency could bring on depression. So you, how would you know that unless you're getting your, your levels checked? You wouldn't. So go to your doctor, get a CBC, get all your hormone levels checked. Speak to the therapist. It's okay to see a therapist. They're experts at what they do. If you can get a Christian therapist, do that. That's even better. I do want to say this. I'm speaking on behalf of them. They haven't said this, but I'm going to say it. The folks in our church that are therapists, they're not your therapist, okay? This is their church. They want to be a part of this church family and love and serve, give, pray, and invest here. This is not their job. So just like if we had a mechanic in our church, every time he walks in the door, we're not going to ask him about the brakes on our car, right? They can point you to helpful resources, but they're not your therapist. You need to find your own therapist. They can help you find a Christian therapist if that's what you're looking for, but they are not your therapist. But if you need to find one, find one, talk to them. But importantly, see your pastor. Fill out a connection card. Talk to me. Send me an email. Send me a text message. Every week of the world, my cell phone number is in the bulletin. Man, text me. Hey, I'm struggling. Could you point me to some resources? Could you pray with me? Hey, I feel like I'm slipping back into some suicidal thoughts. Can you help? Man, I'll get you all the help that you need. I promise you that. But what you can't do is continue doing what's not working. Read the Psalms, megadose on truth, and finally commit to the process. Some helpful resources that I'm going to give you today. First of all, uh, the book here, this is not, I I can't give this away, but I'll give it to you today for $5 if it's helpful to you. Uh, It's a book called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness by Edward Welch. Now, I'll say this. This book is one of the best books I've ever read on depression, but it's 250 pages, okay? It's like a textbook. It's heavy reading, but it's the best book that I've ever read. I'm, I'm going to help you this morning. If you're struggling to get out of the bed and brush your teeth, this is not the book for you, okay? Uh, I've got a book I think will be helpful for you, but this is a little bit deeper. Cost of it's five bucks. I think they cost us $10, but I'll give it to you today for five if it would help you. But a book today that I'm going to give you that is completely, totally free to you uh, is uh, When Darkness Will Not Lift by John Piper. I believe it's one of the best books that I personally ever read about depression. It's 75 pages long. It's chopped up into small chunks where you can read it as part of your daily devotional if you wanted to. Uh, And here's the great part about it. The story from the beginning to the end on depression is the gospel. How the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind fixes the problems that face us today. And so I would highly encourage you uh, to pick up that. That to you today is free. If you need it, I want you to have it. Or if you say, I'm not struggling with depression, I just want to know how I can help people better, take it. It's a resource to you today that's free. Next, we gave this away a couple weeks ago. We have it available again today, Bible Promises book. A thousand and one promises from the Bible. You don't, you're struggling with sadness, open up. It'll have verses on how to deal with sadness. Struggling with anxiety, verses on anxiety. Struggling with sexual temptation, verses on temptation. Take that. That's free to you today. Uh, take it if you need it. Uh, next, Suicide Prevention Hotline. Numbers in your, on your uh, notes, Google it. Uh, there's numbers now where you can even text people if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts. What you can't do is continue to think about it or give into it in any way whatsoever. We don't have time to take a look at it today, but the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, after God tells Elijah, Elijah, I've got 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee. Elijah goes on and he meets a man by the name of, same chapter, man by the name of Elisha. You know what Elisha does? The last verse says, Elisha ministered unto him. God brought another guy alongside Elijah to walk with him through that process who really became Elijah's prodigy, his help in the ministry, his go-to right-hand man was there waiting for him on the other side of Elijah's depression. On the other side of his suicidal thoughts was a guy there waiting to help. I'm telling you this, help is right around the corner. Help's right here today. 
If you're struggling with depression, today's the day where you need to say, hey, I'm, I'm done laying down in it. I'm done allowing it to be my identity. I'm done just giving into it. Today's the day where I begin to live the life that God created me to live. And you don't have to live there any longer. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, do not leave here without the hope of knowing that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home because you have no hope apart from the person of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Going forward, we will be a people who will be honest about our struggles. And it's okay to not be okay. You just can't live there. Going forward, we will be a people who will love, encourage, and accept people that are struggling with this and every other problem under the sun. And from here going forward, we will be a people who are equipped with the resources that we need to help people on a path of finding the hope and joy that we know in Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.